welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast, where every other week we bring you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you to help you connect with where your passions meet the world's deep needs. This week on the podcast, we're talking with Reverend Donna Covington, Vice President of Formation at Asbury Seminary. In this episode, we talk about the formation journey students begin during their time at the seminary, but also Donna's personal story of formation, healing, and hope. Let's listen. I'm excited to talk to you today about formation, not just at Asbury, but your own formation journey, because it is a journey, right? It absolutely is a journey, and that's what we talk about as we're talking about how will we do formation at the seminary. We're talking about formation as a journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's It starts and it never ends. I want to start when you were a little girl yeah. and like um, how you got into becoming who you are now. Yeah. And as I was researching for this interview, I read that somebody had told you girls didn't do science. Yeah. Um, but you have two degrees. I do. In chemistry. That's right. Why did you decide to pursue this and how? Because... I would imagine it was hard to overcome that voice that was like, you can't do this. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting for me. So growing up, I grew up in Lexington. I grew up in a segregated Lexington. Really? So I grew up in the 60s where there was kind of the African-American part of town and the other part of town. Oh, my gosh. And growing up, it was a community. While many may think about that as, that's horrible, In fact, it was a formative community. I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, I can see how the neighborhood, the teachers Mm -hmm. in church, all of that was forming all of us. It was very much a village Uh that formed. For example, if you were in school and you misbehaved in class, Mm-hmm. Because the teachers all lived in the neighborhood. Yes. Your parents knew immediately. And if you misbehaved in class and got punished, you were going to get punished at home. Oh, yes. Right? Yes. So this is this community that's forming. Um, and because of that, uh, our parents always, my bro- I have two bro- older brothers, and I was the youngest of three. Education was a big deal. Was it? Because it was seen as the key that would get you out. I see. So my mother was a secretary. My dad was a a mechanic. Mm -hmm. My dad was a mechanic, too. Yeah. So daddy owned one of the two businesses in Lexington that did auto mechanics, worked on cars for African-Americans. Because Mm -hmm. you just couldn't take your car anywhere to have it fixed. Uh Right? You couldn't go to the movies. You could only go to the Lyric. You just... Couldn't go wherever you wanted to go. Oh, my goodness. And that seems so amazing to me today. Yeah. But, wow, go ahead. It was life in the 60s. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and so we grew up in church. I mean, we had to be at church every time the doors opened, <laughs> right? Yes. And that's not di- that's not based on racial things. That's based on family traditions. Of, you know, <laughs> you go too. to Sunday school, right? You go right. to Sunday school and church and BTU and evening service. Right. So you didn't miss. Like, if there was an <clears throat> opportunity, you were, you were there. But looking back, that started to shape who I mm. became mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as a woman, as a person. Mm-hmm. That shaping in Sunday school of the stories of the Bible, 
I just never thought about it that way because we learned how to memorize things. We were introduced to Christ at a very mm-hmm. young age. Mm-hmm. And because my mother was a secretary, and this is a very small community, she was a secretary to chemist at IBM. Oh, wow. And there were three African-American chemists that I met there through just going there because my mom worked there. Oh, that's amazing. And they became my idols, right? I wanted to be just like them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's the power of how a model or example can shape you. Absolutely. So we're either formed in community spiritually mm-hmm. or we're formed in community in the world or we're deformed in families mm-hmm. and communities and churches. Mm-hmm. So that's the power of shaping and forming, whether we're formed spiritually or whether we're deformed um, in our walk of life. Mm-hmm. So I was very blessed to be formed with great role models, with people telling us that education was the key. We're first-generation college students, right? My brothers and I are the first ones in our family to ever go to college. Mm -hmm. I'm watching my mother and father save because they wanted their children to be educated. Yes. And then schools were desegregated. Right. So I bet that was an exciting day. So as I went to high school, now I'm in an integrated uh, at Henry Clay yeah. environment that's very different than any environment I'd grown up in. What was that like? Was that well, you're walking into an environment you don't know. Mm-hmm. It's transition. Mm-hmm. So I would liken it somewhat to how our students may come to seminary. Yes. Think about our international community. Oh my goodness! Yes. That it's kind of a cultural shock or certainly a cultural transition. Mm -hmm. So as I went from growing up in elementary school, growing up in junior high school, then not middle school, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden being immersed in a different community that I didn't know. Yeah. Because growing up, we stayed in our neighborhood. Yeah. And might, I don't know, might not have always felt welcomed into necessarily, but just were there. And so that helps me think when I'm here about how do we include. So it's not just about diversity of a community. Mm -hmm. It's about how do we include people in community. So, And it was in high school where I met this guidance counselor that is the quotes from that you asked me about. So somewhere in my senior year or junior year, I had to go to the guidance counseling office it never occurred to me that I couldn't be a chemist. Well, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I had watched these role models. I babysat for them. I was in. I wanted to be just like them. So, were the role models were they women? <clears throat> they were men. Okay, but you wanted. They but- were African American men who had gone to Fisk. Mm-hmm. And so, n- not only did I know what a chemist really did, I just knew they were chemists, and I wanted to be like them. Right? Mm-hmm. I really didn't know much about mm-hmm. chemistry, and. She said to me, I wanted to go to Center College. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say that. My mother wanted me to go to Center College. (laughs) I wanted to go to Fisk because they had gone to Fisk, Mm -hmm. which is a historically black college and university. Mm -hmm. And Center had offered me a scholarship. Of course, my mom knew the value of money, and I had no idea about the value of money. She said, you're going to go to Center College. So 
I remember my guidance counselor saying to me, you can't go to center and you can't be a chemist. What kind of guidance counselor is that? You have to put yourself, Heidi, back in the 60s for a moment. So through a historical lens of, first of all, African-Americans weren't really being chemists. And certainly an African-American woman, not to mention women in general, weren't That's true. practicing uh, in the science and the math. Mm-hmm. So in her mind, perhaps she was trying to be helpful. Let's be graceful and say, you know, perhaps she wanted to see me on some path that she thought I might be successful in. Yes, I'm sure she wanted to guide you in a way that to put you on a path that she was like she knew you could succeed on, yeah. not pushing the envelope as you would have been doing at the yeah. time. But it is a nod to the power of words yes, and what we speak over people's lives and our expectations. Mm-hmm. So she was wrong on both counts, by yes, the way. Yes, she was, yes. And as I uh, went to center, even then, so I want to kind of take you through this lens so it will help us together understand how I've been shaped Mm -hmm. and therefore how I think about some things. Yes. So at center, there were probably 12 African-Americans on campus, right? It's a very small campus Mm -hmm. to begin Mm -hmm. with. And so it wasn't horribly unusual for me because I had just been living through this season of integration anyway. And, um, you know, I graduate and I knew I had to go to grad school. Mm -hmm. And so I get a master's in analytical chemistry. And because we come from an IBM family, my mother worked there, my brother worked there. I just assumed I would go work at IBM as a chemist. I wondered how you got involved with IBM and the corporate world, you know, that makes sense. And so because IBM had been so great to my mother, she had had great career opportunities. She started as a secretary and just kind of worked her way up to a staff position. Mm -hmm. She she must have realized, and I didn't, that that's a place where people could have opportunities. Yes. And so it never occurred to me to go work anywhere else beside IBM. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I graduated from graduate school, IBM had a freeze on hiring, so I couldn't um, get in. I so therefore I went to Texas Instruments mm-hmm. and worked mm-hmm. for a couple of years, and that was such another stop of formation for me because yeah. I worked third shift oh. at Texas Instruments in Versailles, Kentucky, uh, in the molding department. So it was a, a bunch of Grumpy old men, right? Or I shouldn't say old men, but a grumpy man for sure who worked third shift. But when I look back on that, I thought I was pretty hot shot graduating with mm-hmm. a graduating with a master's degree in mm-hmm. analytical chemistry. Mm-hmm. But it was there in that community where they accepted me. Mm-hmm. As can you imagine these older guys having an African American woman as their supervisor? Right. Wow. So their boss. Yeah. yeah. And um, it started to show me the power and of love, yeah, and how that can either form us or deform us. Uh-huh. And so I'll never forget that community as being so welcoming in Versailles, Kentucky, of all places. Yeah, 
Um, but my mother insisted that I work for IBM, and uh-huh. so as soon as they opened, <laughs> I was hired as a chemist there. Yeah, so your first job at IBM was a chemist. Yeah. So I don't know what a chemist at IBM would do. So what did you do? So if you recall, and you may not be able to, there was such a thing called typewriters. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And we formulated the ink for the ribbons. Cool. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, formulated liftoff tapes. Cool. So that's what chemists, so chemists did that. Chemists set up um, the processes for manufacturing uh, inks. Uh, we did a lot of competitive analysis, so mm-hmm. uh, understanding what our competition was doing, what sort of pigments they were using, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And so IBM hired a lot of chemists to do that sort of work in Lexington because Lexington was pretty much the headquarters for mm-hmm. the typewriter division. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And then you just, like your mother, you moved your way. Yeah. So what I didn't know, again, you know, it's kind of it, it's kind of fun to look back, to lean back and think about this. IBM was a great place to work, and they had processes and programs in place to identify people throughout IBM, no matter where they were located, that might have potential um, to make it to the executive ranks. And they called it their high potential program. What a great company that would have that in place already. Yeah. And I was one of those people um, Mm -hmm. among a lot of people that were tapped as, you know, she may have enough potential to move up the ranks. And so when they identify you, they put development plans in place so nice. that you have experiences in different places um, as you move up the ranks so that you're broad enough to be an executive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they let you go as high as your potential will take you. That's right? awesome. Yeah. So they don't say Heidi's going to be a vice president. They'll uh-huh. say, we think Heidi has potential. Uh-huh. And let Let's, you decide and, right, how hard exactly. you want to work, what you want to learn. Right. And so it was phenomenal opportunities for yeah. someone like me. I didn't know those things were possible. Right. I mean, I couldn't have, I dreamed of being a chemist. Mm-hmm. That was a big dream for mm-hmm. me. I never dreamed of being an executive. I didn't know such a thing was possible. Right. That makes sense. Like, right. Yeah. I grew up in Eastern Kentucky and like thinking those things, like even just being here, I'm like, Yeah. These are possible, but you don't know to dream what you don't know. Right. You don't, mm-hmm. you know. If, you've is, no, if you haven't seen it modeled, like you right. were saying earlier, you don't know. Right. You see it in other families, but not for you because nobody before you has done that. Right. So you don't know what yeah. you don't know. Yeah. And all through this journey, be informed in church molded yes. the person that I was. It molded mm-hmm. my character. Mm-hmm. It molded my values. Mm-hmm. But it was at center where I really encountered Jesus yes, and I was, experienced Jesus. I came up with questions, but you're kind of leading me right through because I was yeah. going to ask you when Christ became part of your life because I, too, grew up in a Christian home, but you have to decide for you. Right. And so, when he becomes important to you and, like, molds, starts molding your own life. And your exactly. Yeah. So I was baptized at seven. Mm-hmm. Because that's what we did. We'd have revival. Mm-hmm. We'd sit on the mourner's bench. And at the end of revival, you were expected to go forth yes. in a Baptist church and make a profession of your faith mm-hmm. for baptism. And, of course, we all did that. Yes. But I didn't realize what that meant. Mm-hmm. My eyes were opened 
it's I've never been the same since mm-hmm. that day. Um, another student, Melanie Davis, I'll never forget her, mm-hmm. shared the gospel with me mm-hmm. and the love of Christ. And it's like the light bulbs went off. Yes. And I understood in a way that I'd never understood before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I would like to think that all of those Sunday school lessons and the Bible stories and being raised in church all help culminate my understanding of being drawn to who Jesus is and mm-hmm. his love. Mm-hmm. And um, it was at that point at center where my life just changed dramatically. Yeah, how so? Well, what I desired, I had a love for scripture mm-hmm. that I'd never experienced before. Mm-hmm. The Lord filled me with the Holy Spirit. I didn't even, growing up in a Baptist church, you just didn't talk about that stuff, right? (laughs) Right. I didn't even know what it meant. I didn't know what Pentecost was. Mm -hmm. I had no biblical understanding of what was happening to me. Right. Um, But that's how I know. That's how I know that the Holy Spirit will lead us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I experienced that in my own formation. Mm Mm-hmm of no one was sitting there teaching me. And there's nothing wrong with teaching. We want to teach. We right. want to take Absolutely. on a yeah. journey. But I'd like to think that the Lord was forming me, as he does everyone, for the journey he's going to put us on. Mm. He knows. Mm-hmm. Certainly he knows. Our, the Bible tells us our stories have been written. Yes. Psalm 139. Yes. How we live them out is something different. Yes. And so he knows his plans and his purposes for our lives. Mm-hmm. The question is, will we be obedient and submit to the good things that God has planned for us? So um, that's where I encountered Christ okay. and encountered the Holy Spirit in a way that I'd never seen before. Yeah. And that led me to four different experiences, as yeah. you can imagine, than growing yeah. up as a in a Baptist church as a young girl. Yeah. So then you kept working at IBM, but how did, <clears throat> I mean, going into that, knowing Christ, how did that kind of, because you're aware of things, how did you see Christ yeah. shaping you during those years? So I was married in graduate school. Mm-hmm. And so now we're starting a family in addition to starting a career. And again, in my mind, being hired as a chemist was a phenomenal thing. Mm-hmm. But now we're starting to shape ourselves in a, a church community locally Mm -hmm. that starts a different shaping as married and family and Mm -hmm. all of those things. totally different, yeah. And it was that shaping, I think, that started to shape who I was in the workplace. So I wasn't sitting there saying, I want a promotion or I want to raise. I, I didn't know those things were possible. Really? I didn't. Yeah. I mean, how would you know? Right, exactly. But I started, I, I remember hearing the Lord speak to me about giving. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't giving to get. It was, I want to teach you principles of sowing and reaping. And I think part of my career, and maybe perhaps just how I'm built, is the fun of seeing people, other people, um, increase their capacity or be yeah. developed to more. Yeah. And, 
you know, the interesting principle is the more you develop others, the more you are developed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that started to shape how I worked. Right. But you're not going at it with that attitude. It's going to make me better. It's just a genuine, I want to help others. I can remember my first promotion into the executive ranks. I was uh, actually going to see some executives about um, a, a guy who worked in my organization who didn't have a college education, mm-hmm. who was really smart, mm-hmm. was doing phenomenal work. And I knew I'd have to go defending. Mm-hmm. because they weren't promoting people to these ranks I wanted without college degrees. Mm-hmm. And in all of that process of, of getting this guy hired or promoted, I ended up being promoted also. That's awesome. And that was my first promotion into the executive ranks. Mm-hmm. And again, it was starting to understand and I see it here at the seminary, the power of teams, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the ability to get things done through mm-hmm. a team of people mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to a siloed view of mm-hmm. how to get work done. Mm-hmm. The work we're doing now in formation for our students, for all mm-hmm. of our students, uh, particularly our students who are non-residential, yes. when I think about that work, I think about the communications. We wouldn't be nearly where we are today without the a Deb and the whole team in communications. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We wouldn't be where we are without the faculty. Mm, we wouldn't be where we are without Kevin Bish and yes. the student enrollment yes, and student absolutely. affairs team. Yes. I mean, uh, Nicole and Jessica and just all the people that are contributing to how yes. will we invest in a formative way for our students. Yeah. It goes back to the village thing that you were talking it about does. at the beginning. Yeah. And it also goes back to, because I grew up the way I I did, you know, some people may call me crazy, and that's okay. Sometimes (laughs) I call myself crazy because I see the possibilities. So because I've seen God's hand, so this is how I'm formed. Mm -hmm. Because I've seen God do the impossible in my life Mm -hmm. from growing up as that little girl in that little neighborhood on O'Hale Street in the early 60s, mm-hmm. to being able to travel the world as a global executive. Yeah. I know it's possible. No one can tell me it's not possible. Yeah. yeah. So therefore, when I go at work that's been prayed over, mm-hmm. that we've heard the voice of God, yes. he will do it. Yes. It's not about my own effort yes. or our own efforts. It's about what does God want to do at Asbury Theological Seminary globally? Yes, absolutely. And how do we get on his agenda? Yes. Because he's doing some great stuff, yeah. and he wants to do great yeah. things in our life. Yeah. So yeah. because I'm formed that way, I think all things are possible for God's people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we can do things that we never thought were possible. Yes. Because yes. of it. Yes. So. So if I'm jumping ahead too far, you can back me up a little bit. But um, you worked for IBM for Mm -hmm. many years. 30 years. 30 years. IBM and Lexmark. IBM and Lexmark. And then you decided to start working more with students. What made you decide to do do that? Because you were kind of, I mean, you weren't kind of. You were at the top of like. I was. Yeah. Right. Like so I was pretty much at the top of my game. Yeah. Right? At, so at why the pinnacle give that up? of my yeah. career. It was hard work, first yes. of all. <clears throat> but during that last year, 
I felt the call of God on my life. And I didn't know what that was, but it wouldn't let me go. Yeah. So every day. You know, and it started kind of small. Yeah. Then it kept getting louder and louder and louder. And this went on for a year. How did it start? Like, how did, what did you first start well, hearing or knowing or? or even in my own prayer time, mm-hmm. it's a sense of God's presence mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that's not, no, wasn't normal for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd go to church mm-hmm. and I'd be in church service and just the presence of God would fall on me. Mm-hmm. I just out of nowhere, I'd sit mm-hmm. at my kitchen table, mm-hmm. and it's just a drawing, and mm-hmm. the presence of God just drawing me to something else. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't hear a big loud voice that said, "Donna, I'm calling you to ministry." It didn't happen that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was, in fact, I started interviewing at other companies. I thought the Lord was telling me to change jobs. Yeah. I didn't know what I was being called to. Mm-hmm. But at the end of a year, I knew that it was time to leave my corporate role. Wow. Was that hard? It was really hard. This is what I knew. This is what I loved. I enjoyed my job. I wasn't yeah. unhappy. Yeah. I was making a lot of money. Yeah. Right? I was and traveling you enjoyed what the you world. Did. Yeah. Uh, and being able to pour into other people to help mm-hmm. their careers at this point, mm-hmm. uh, I'm in my 50s. Mm-hmm. And I'm retiring. Right. Starting again is not really on your bucket list. Right. So I, and so I really thought because I grew up in a Baptist church, mm-hmm. women weren't called to preach. Right. And that also contributed to my not understanding, one, and two, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't talk oh, about yeah. it to anyone. I didn't understand it. Right. So I didn't you- want them to think I was. Right. Right. Crazy. Yeah. Right? Just what are you talking yeah. about? God's presence is falling on right. you. Right. You didn't have a community that could help you decipher what was and happening. And discern yeah, what was discern, happening yeah. to me. But I knew that the Lord was telling me to leave Lexmark. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know what was next. Mm-hmm. And the day after I re- retired, mm-hmm. I sat at my kitchen table and said, okay, Lord, what now? Mm-hmm. And I ended up writing a personal vision. Have you ever written a personal vision? I have not, no. Uh, It's Craig Rochelle's book, um, Kaizen. Okay. It's the Hebrew word for vision, revelation. And I remember it's not very long. I still have it. I still use it. Mm -hmm. And I sat there and wrote that, uh, just kind of that personal vision statement. Mm -hmm. And it's it's been my guidepost as I've moved from place to place. Mm -hmm. And it was all about leadership. Mm-hmm. It was all about pouring into others, doing it globally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't think the Lord was going to waste this global experience from right. uh, IBM and Lexmark. No, he doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste anything. No. And the next day I started working as executive director at Bethel Harvest Church. Wow. So did I, you know that? Like, had you applied or, you know, just. Well, I, had, I was going to church there. Okay. So I'd been going to church there mm-hmm. after I left uh, uh, Main Street Baptist. Mm-hmm. And that next day I had a meeting with the pastor and his wife. And I remember, in fact, I'm, I'm having lunch with her today. Oh, fun. We still have this great relationship. I remember her saying to me that day, 
Donna, be sure that you're sure. Don't let any human put a call on your life. Mm, mm-hmm. Because when you run into a tough place, mm-hmm. you're going to have to know that you know. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we weren't talking about a call to preach or a call to pastor or mm-hmm. any of those mm-hmm. things. It was, I was just sharing with them something's happening in my life, yeah. and I'm not quite sure what this is. Yeah. And because I had um, some administrative gifts from from the work I've been doing at Lexmark, it was a great opportunity for me to be able to share some of that with the church, Mm -hmm. right? So I went in to do administrative things Mm -hmm. to help them set up HR processes, to help them set up processes through the church Mm -hmm. because the church was growing really fast at that time. And it's through that process that I learned that um, in churches, we don't always invest a lot in people from a leadership perspective. That's true. That's sad, but it's true. Yeah. So at IBM and Lexmark, we had personal coaches. They sent us to classes. They were training us to be executives. Mm-hmm. And so it was normative for me. I mm-hmm. thought that's the way everybody did it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I knew they were spending a lot of money in every executive they were making. Mm-hmm. So I thought everyone had that sort of leadership training. And I should have known better that because but they you, were spending lots of money. But you don't know what churches, you don't know. Yeah. Don't have that sort of money spent. And that's where the Lord just sort of led me into mm-hmm. how do we put leadership into churches? How do we bring volunteers? How do we mm-hmm. bring, again, it's just these cross-functional teams, the mm-hmm. power of unleashing people's passions. Yes. To do kingdom work in its simplest way. And um, and then another church called, and and we worked together with these two churches that wanted me to come over there, Consolidated Baptist, and and help do some administrative work, put processes in place, the same thing. And I'd only been at Consolidated about six months Uh when the Lord started speaking to me about seminary. Really? Just kind of out of the blue. And I'm like, Sim, are you, oh, that can't, I can't be hearing that right. Right. You know, God, do you realize I'm in my 50s? Do you realize I already have two degrees? Right. Do you realize I've been out of school for 30 years? And in my head, only preachers went to seminaries, mm-hmm. pastors. Mm-hmm. And I'm not either of those. Right. That's what I thought, too, before I started working at the seminary and realized it was for more people than just pastors. And um, this was a very short period of time where God really set on me deeply. Mm -hmm. And he said, I want you to go to Asbury. And I thought, I didn't know the difference. Uh I I didn't know anything about seminaries. Right. And, you know, I was resisting that and thinking, no, that can't be right. And the Spirit said to me, drive your car to Asbury. Mm. And so I saw the sign. I knew it was in Wilmore, Kentucky. Uh I drove down here. I remember it, Heidi, like it was yesterday, parking in that side parking lot over beside where the community formation area is now. And I I went there, I parked my car, and I heard the Lord say, get out and and just walk the campus. Yeah. And as I did that, it was the same sort of thing I felt when I was leaving Lexmark. Mm -hmm. I knew... This was the place mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Was that your I know that I know moment? Yes. Yes, okay. Right. 
And I got up enough nerve to go into the enrollment management office. Oh, that takes guts. Right. Yeah. Because I thought, why would they take someone like me? Right. And what would I do? And some lady there who was so kind, Mm -hmm. I don't even remember who it was, pulled out the catalog and the literature and started showing me that there was more things to do other than an MDiv. Yeah. But I mean, even just walking in there, like, it's like I'm actually do like it's taking a step to do it, right? Which that is scary, faith, yeah. Right. And it was there where I saw Christian leadership and thought, uh-huh. well, maybe yeah. I could do that. Maybe, yeah. yeah. And applied, mm-hmm. and like a week later, was accepted because I thought I was. A, this is August, so uh-huh. I'm I'm thinking in my mind, I'll apply and start school in January. Oh yeah, yeah. That's what I'd be thinking too, because I'm not mm-hmm. a, like a oh let's do this in two weeks, right? And um, was accepted, and they said, pick classes, right? I'm like, what am I doing? Wow. And ended up picking um, some classes with Dr. Steve Martin, equipping the laity. Oh, yes. Yeah, and then I fell in love with seminary. Yeah, yeah. Um, So were you you still then working at Bethel Harvest and Consolidated Baptist? No, I I left both of those to Mm -hmm. come to seminary full time. Okay. Uh, because I thought, Lord, I haven't written a paper in 30 years. Yeah. Right? And I had no idea the deep formation that would go on in my life. I am so excited that we're going to be doing the means of grace this fall. Yes. Yes, it's going to be good, isn't it? Right. I'm so excited because it was in that first semester that I learned about the means of grace yes. with Dr. Martin. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had always prayed. I'd always read my the Bible, mm-hmm. but I never understood this deeper inner life that we could enter into from a formative perspective. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the language then to say, there is a place that we can go deeper in God mm-hmm. and become more like Christ mm-hmm. through the transformative power of the Holy yes. Spirit. I had no language. And like having that, that language is so important to be able to name what you're feeling or what yeah, you desire. Exactly. And it was there that Dr. Martin put us in small groups and mm-hmm. we went through um, the books of the means of grace. Mm-hmm. It was a seminary that I learned about John Wesley. Yeah. I had grown up in a Baptist church. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about this movement mm-hmm. called Methodist mm-hmm. that I fell in love with. <laughs> yes. And it was in seminary that I lost my family. Hmm. So the first year, so we're talking about how we're formed. Yes. So I start seminary. My mom goes in the hospital, and I was glad I wasn't working because I'd go to class, and then I'd Uh go sit with her at the hospital. Uh And in November, she never came out. In November, she passed away. But I was starting to be in this place called Asbury and Community, Uh where this community starting to form. Uh And walk with you through this place. Well, I knew mm-hmm. my mother. Mm-hmm. I remember my mother praying every night on her knees. I knew, and growing up in church, I knew that she was going to heaven. Yes. Right? We had a lot of good talks during those months. But that transition isn't easy just because, not no, it's not at all. And, of course, Dr. Martin will laugh at me telling this story, so... He said, look, I'm going on a mission trip. I'm taking the class, a class on a mission trip to mm-hmm. Costa Rica, and I want you to go with us. And I'm sure he was sensing that I was mm-hmm. in this place, 
da da da. And um, I went. Mm-hmm. If Dr. Martin said it was something I should do, certainly yeah. I was going to do that. Because I'd been the student in class who sat in the back, who was quiet. Yes. I don't, to this day, I'm not sure I even understand how Steve Martin even knew anything about me. I don't know how he knew I was a retired executive. Somehow he knew. Amazing, isn't it? It is. But I sat in the back of the class, you know, there are all these young people, and I was quiet. I didn't say much. And we get to Costa Rica, and uh, it's probably 20 of us. Um, and we're at with the Palomos, who I love. Oh, yes. And every morning we're having our morning, they call them devotionals, mm-hmm. but it's a full-blown service. Right? Mm-hmm. It's a worship, a time of worship. Don't you love how they worship in yes. other countries? They're just all yes. in. Yes. All in. Yeah. And the... Uh, Many of the pastors who were being trained at the seminary there were bringing the morning messages, mm-hmm. and they were phenomenal—just mm-hmm. <clears throat> fabulous. So halfway through the week, uh, Doctor Martin says to me, "You're going to be sharing on Friday." Oh gosh! <laughs> and they had sent us an email before we went and said, "Bring a sermon with you." Well, I deleted the email because I'm not a preacher, uh-huh, right? Uh huh. And I would have done the same. Right. And I'm with 20 other students who are preachers. So let and them pastors, do it. Yes. And yes. They'll, they'll be the ones mm-hmm. asked to preach and not me. And I was horrified. Do you hear me, Heidi? I yes. was just like this. I cried for three hours. Like, really, God? Yes, I understand. And so on Friday, not only will I have to preach, I've never put a sermon together. I have nothing with me but a Bible. These Costa Rican pastors were bringing the word, right? Yes. I, I have nothing. I have a Bible. Yes. And I don't speak Spanish, so I'm going to have to work through a translator. Yes, which complicates everything. Right. Yes. And so we're talking about formation, and I watch God do it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. I watched God work through this vessel, through this person mm-hmm. to do something I knew wasn't possible. Yeah. So what did he do? And I remember the sermon. Yeah. Right. And um, that I shared that day. And it was a word for us as, as now as preachers mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. of how we walk with God. It was the. It was, this, I picked a sermon from where the 5,000 were fed. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And the disciples must have been feeling pretty good about themselves, yep. right? 5,000 people were just fed. Yep. And then Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross. Mm-hmm. Because what does it profit a man to gain the whole mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. and lose their soul? Mm-hmm. I, and I knew that's something I could talk about. Yeah. Right? That these disciples must have been feeling pretty good about yeah. following Jesus yeah, at this point, did, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Look what just happened. Yeah. And now Jesus is talking about, but you're going to have to lose who you are, mm-hmm. every bit of who you are, mm-hmm. to follow me, mm-hmm. because you can have all of this. Mm-hmm. And what will it profit you? Yes. Mm-hmm. If you lose yourself in the miracles, in mm-hmm. in the things that look shiny. Yes. Yes. Right. And so for me, that was a way of at least sharing my experience mm-hmm. to the preachers. 
And so I was like, oh, thank you. I got through that. And Bishop Palomo, who's a, just a very spiritual man, comes up to me and says, and you'll preach in one of my churches on Sunday. And I thought, and oh, who's no, gonna, I won't. I know, right? <laughs> I just made it through this one. Let's not push it. Who's going to tell the bishop no? Right, right. Who's going to say no to the bishop? Well, not no. Yeah, right. no. So after I just kind of wrung myself out for Friday, Sunday's coming, and I'm expected to have another message, mm-hmm. right? And I don't know how to do this. Right. Right. Anyway, the point of, the, of telling that story is I watched God work. Mm-hmm. We're talking about formation. Yes. Yes. And certainly our education and what we do in our head is important. Mm-hmm. But this is the hard piece. Yes. Of being able to walk with the Lord in a different in the spiritual realm, mm-hmm. to hear what he has for his people yes. and to be able to speak a word into that community and be loved and be mm-hmm. transformed, not just their transformation. But yours too. I was transformed in Costa Rica. Yeah. And I go back almost every year and do their yeah. women's conference. Yeah. That was just born out of yeah. being obedient, listening to Dr. Martin for that mission trip. So did you... Did you become a preacher after that? Do you know? Well, I still didn't really get in this track. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the next year, my son is killed. Many of you all know that story. You've, mm-hmm. you've read about it or you've heard me talk about it. That's and a tragedy. What a tragedy in my life. Yes. Right? I knew the enemy could go no deeper. Mm-hmm. The, the one I love the most mm-hmm. has been tragically taken away. And it's a racial confrontation. Everything about it is just terrible, horrible. Yes. Um, and I wanted to give up. You know, mm-hmm. in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't really need this seminary degree. Right. I, I'm at a place. I'll never pastor a church. I'll never use this. I'm just done. Mm-hmm. And people like Dr. Martin and... The Palomos and the Gobers, and I'll, I'll miss someone. Steve Siemens, mm-hmm. they just would not let me give up. That's good. And that community. That community. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russell West. I mean, oh, I love Dr. West. Yeah, yeah. All these people are showing up at my house. Oh, yeah. They're at the funeral. I mean, this, I'm still overwhelmed by it all. Mm hmm. But it's in that point that that God walked me through, yeah. and that's and so now Heidi, I, I, we're still talking about formation. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to Aaron Nickerson, mm-hmm. and it's my great joy to serve his family during this yeah. time because I could sit with his mother, yeah, and say, I know there. how your heart's broken into a, a million yeah. pieces. And I love that about how God forms us, that no matter what brokenness we have walked through, Mm -hmm. as our students enter seminary, as we walk with faculty and staff, Mm -hmm. no matter what the brokenness is, Mm -hmm. our God is a restoring God. He will take those broken places and use them for his honor Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and for his glory. Mm-hmm. And he does that in everyone that's willing to walk with him. Yes. And that's what's really important to me about formation at the seminary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That as our students come here and they come to study. Yeah. That they start these practices that will yes. take them deeper in God. Yes. Because when they graduate and get to their places, the storms are going to come against them. Mm-hmm. They're going to rise. Mm-hmm. They'll have continued brokenness on those journeys. Mm-hmm. But if they find a place in God, he will never forsake them. Mm-hmm. He will never leave them. And it will give them the strength for the journey. Yes. Yes. How, do, how are you helping students? design like rhythms of grace to help them, not just when they're here, but then when they leave. So that's a lot of what you guys have been working on also, (laughs) right? As we start to say, Asbury is such a phenomenal place that they invest in formation. Mm -hmm. Most seminaries, most higher education institutions aren't spending money. They aren't investing in the formative part of students. It's get your degree. Yes, yes. And so this work this year has been around how do we help students who are already busy with classes take a formation journey? Yes. And we're starting with the means of grace. How do we help them develop the inward life? How do we help them develop the outward life Mm -hmm. of worship and Mm -hmm. communion Mm -hmm. and understanding all these aspects of God that he wants to give us? Yes. How do we present that in a way that is um, that they will embrace? Yes. And then how do we also help them understand the importance of community? We call it bands. Mm -hmm. It's small group accountability Mm -hmm. for not only our residential students, but also our non-residential students, which is half of our students. Yes. Almost half of our mm-hmm. student population. So our work, and it's the work of the cross-functional team, yes. has been around designing a formation pathway for our students to go on. We're rolling out phase one this mm-hmm. fall, which is really it exciting is very, for me. Yes, it's very exciting. Uh, but we have other phases to, de- to uh, design mm-hmm. as we go through this process so that every year our students... We're pointing them on a journey. Mm-hmm. We're inviting them to take the journey yeah. to become mature in God, mm-hmm. in Christ, through the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. We're starting these big themes for the yes. seminary that everyone is going to be hearing and thinking about and praying and studying all the same things. So I think of it. As a potter starts to mold clay. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right? Clay's really hard mm-hmm. when yep. you buy it and mm-hmm. you have to slam it on the floor <laughs> and things to start getting it pliable where you mm-hmm. can yeah. knead it. And and it's I hope process, that's what yeah. our journey's about yeah. for our students. Um, that while they're here studying and being academically prepared, they're also being prepared spiritually yes. to lead and to have high bar discipleship 
for wherever they're going in the world to spread the gospel. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. love that. Yes. And I get to be a part of it. Yeah, that's, that's so cool. Exciting. Yeah, it's bringing right? together everything. Like the themes are definitely there for you. And oh, go ahead. You're One right. of the things I never dreamed of, we're talking about themes we dr- things we dream about. Yeah. When I graduated from seminary, mm-hmm. and I, I went off into higher education mm-hmm. to be the dean of the College of Business at a couple different mm-hmm. places. I never dreamed that I would be back at Asbury yeah. Theological Seminary. How did you get back? Well, that's a great, that's an interesting question. So my seminary degree prepared me well. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it at the time. Um, prepared me well to be the dean of the College of Business in two uh, historically black colleges mm-hmm. and universities. Because I was going to start to meet people that were very much like me. Mm-hmm. First-generation college students mm-hmm. were not dreaming, had no idea, but they were diamonds in the rough. It was just being able to walk with them on an academic journey mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. help them get to that point. So, and I moved, my, I'm from Lexington. My home's here. My family's here. My grandchildren <laughs> are here. And I was in Delaware on a contract. Mm-hmm. I knew it had a beginning. I knew it had an end. So yep. I was looking forward um, to coming back to Kentucky yeah. to be with my grandchildren yeah, with, in particular. Oh, with yeah. my son and my daughter-in-law. But, particularly, but the grandchildren are the draw. <laughs> yeah, particularly my grandchildren. And it, several people from Asbury reached out to me and said, hey, this job is open, and we think you would be a great person to apply for this mm-hmm. role. And it's important to listen to your community, to what they're telling you, even if you can't see it. And so in my mind, I was thinking, oh, Lord, now I get to retire. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Right. Now and I spend get to more go time home with and the be grandchildren. Grand- yeah. Right. And the more I prayed about it and the more people talked about it, it was getting close to the end where they were taking the posting down. And they had probably... God only knows how many great candidates apply Mm -hmm. for that role, many of whom, in my mind, were more qualified than I was. Mm -hmm. I mean, they had MDivs, they had pastor churches, uh, and so on and so on. However, I thought, let me apply and let me continue to put this in prayer. Mm -hmm. And it evolved. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah, I love that. Well, we're really glad that you are here. And I'm glad to be here. What an exciting place to be at this time, uh, at this place, to be able to pour into the people that are taking the gospel to the world, that next generation. And as I listen to our students and talk to them individually and in groups, we just did a... um, a group at lunch when the board was here. Oh, yes. As they shared about Asbury. Um, the gospel is in good hands. Mm-hmm. The church is not dying. Yes. The church is living. Mm-hmm. And God is still raising up people that mm-hmm. are going to lead his church. Mm-hmm. And our, our role is to be their armor bearers, to yes. be the people that journey with them, to help them to be equipped and prepared mm-hmm. in the classroom mm-hmm. and outside the mm-hmm. classroom. So it's an exciting job. It is an exciting job. Yeah. 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 I really appreciate you taking the time to be here today. And as we wrap it up, I have three questions that we're asking everybody on the podcast. So 
what is, we call our podcast the Thrive Podcast. Okay. And so what is one practice, it can be spiritual or otherwise, that helps you thrive in your life right now? I love the practice of reading a psalm every day, Mm, of getting up in the morning and starting my day. In in many ways, it is our prayer book. Mm, Yes, it is. And no matter how many times I go through the book of Psalms, uh, it's always an exciting journey the next day. Mm -hmm. And no matter what situation I find myself in, I find comfort. Yes. I find peace. I love the honesty in the Psalms, yes, too. Yes, David, right? Yes. And so I think uh, one practice, I was, uh, I know we're wrapping up. Uh, last night, I was with a young man that's 34 who's had, you know, just a very interesting journey mm-hmm. in life. Mm-hmm. And he's been called to be a minister. Mm-hmm. So we, we get together every two weeks and just spend some time together. Mm-hmm. And he asked me last night, what's one practice that I need to incorporate? Mm -hmm. And I said, look, I want you to get up early and read a psalm every day. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to sow into you a devotional that's written by our president, Dr. Tim Tennant, and his wife, Julie (laughs) Tennant, Uh uh, on a uh, meditative journey through the book of Psalms. Mm, Yes. And just start there and watch what God will do. Yeah. Yeah, that is so good. I love that. Um, what book are you reading right now? Like for fun or for your edification? Well, I don't know, Heidi, if you're like me, but sometimes I get two or three going yes, at the I same time. Yes, I do too. Time. Yep. So I'm reading a book by, uh, I think his name is Evan Howard. Mm-hmm. It's called A Guide to Spiritual Formation. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Tennant gave me that book early on when I came, and I've read it and I'm rereading it. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's a very good practical guide mm-hmm. on how we can uh, practice formation uh, here at the seminary mm-hmm. and practice it in our personal lives. So that's one book I'm reading. I uh, just finished reading a book by Dr. Cynthia James called The Anointing, mm. which is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And then I've just ordered um, a book that a guy on the board recommended around how do we reach the new generation yes. who may not do it the way we've all been taught yes. in a traditional sense. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping to go on, well, I am going on vacation, Lord willing, <laughs> the first week of June, so I'm stacking my books Just now. have a couple more weeks yeah, to get to, to read. But those are, I've really been trying to read articles and books more around spiritual formation mm-hmm. and what things can we do at the seminary to mm-hmm. help our students. Mm-hmm. So and yeah. that's fun reading yeah. for me also. Yeah. Reading and reading again for probably just started this the sixth or seventh time celebration of disciplines as we start oh, yeah. to think about yeah. moving into the season of the means of grace. Yeah. What's your favorite book of all time? The Bible. That's a good answer. Yeah. The Bible. Yeah. I mean, it's so real. Yeah. I've been reading in the, let's see where I'm reading in Old Testament right now. That's been, I mean, it's, it's all I could do to draw myself away to come to work, right? Wow. So I'm reading in Samuel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the mm-hmm. stories of David and Jonathan and Samuel. Yes. And it, the, the scripture is just full of everyday people. Mm. Don't you want, love that? Yeah. Yeah, who want to mature in their walk yep. with God. Mm-hmm. And. One of the things I love about Dr. Tennant and Julie's devotional is how they take every psalm and point us to Christ. Yes. 
So uh, it's a book. Heidi, I've been reading scripture now. I'd have to think about this over 40 years. Yeah. I, it never grows old to me. It just... Isn't that amazing? It is. Yeah. You never get bored with it, yep. no matter how many times yep. you read. So yep. it's my favorite book. All right. So our last question is, what's something that's still on your bucket list to do? Oh, wow. can be somewhere to go. It can be something serious, something yeah. fun. Uh, I'm, I can't think of anything that's just jumping out to me. I mean, recently... I've been looking at Mozambique and probably mm. been thinking about that because of the uh, horrible storms mm-hmm. that destroyed Mozambique recently. Um, and I don't know if you ever read Heidi Baker. I haven't, no. So she has a, a huge ministry there. Heidi Baker has a PhD in biblical studies, and her and her husband have spent their life ministering particularly to children mm. in trash heaps in Mozambique. Mozambique's mm. probably one of the poorest countries in the world. Yeah. Um, and so I always, through the years, pray for their ministry mm-hmm. and have been watching as this cyclone has just destroyed mm. Mozambique, so many areas there. So one of the things on my bucket list, mm-hmm. I would love to go to Mozambique and spend a month or two months mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Heidi Baker and their team just ministering yeah. uh, to people there. Yeah, that would be awesome. That would be fun. That would be I, fun, yeah. yeah. Well, I hope that works out. Yeah, I so. hope I have a chance to yeah. do that. Yeah, well, thank you so much for stopping by today. I have so enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you for the invitation to do this. I'm sure I've jumped around and rambled a lot, but this is great. Thank yeah. you for the work you do. Well, thank you. Thanks for yeah. saying yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Reverend Donna Covington. Grateful for her leadership in today's conversation. I hope you all enjoyed it as well. In our next episode, Dr. Dorothy Smith Hubbard, pastor of Community of Love United Methodist Church in Texas and alumna of Asbury Seminary, joins us to talk about her book, Reducing Anxiety of Persons Practicing Pastoral Care, that explores ways to reduce personal anxiety in order to more effectively practice pastoral care. New podcast episodes release every other week, and you won't want to miss out. Subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at at Asbury Seminary. Have a great day, y'all, and go do something that helps you thrive.